Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, hey, TCC. My name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Acts 16, verse 6. So in our series, we're looking at the book of Acts through the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. God calls Paul his chosen instrument to proclaim his name to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. This isn't Judaism. This is something else. This is not the old covenant. It's a new covenant. This is something new. And so a good deal of the book of Acts is the early church figuring out through the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit how to be a Christian, how to follow the way. They knew how to be Jews, but then all of these Gentiles are being brought into the faith and the Holy Spirit is being poured out on Gentiles just like it was being poured out on them. And so they wrestle with this. How does this work? How do you be a Christian? Did the Gentiles need to become Jews? Did they need to submit to the law of Moses, submit to circumcision or dietary laws or Jewish holidays? And there was conflict and there was debate. And we looked at some of that last week. But ultimately, they followed the lead of the Spirit and the authority of God. Yet I think from our vantage point, we can look at that as no big thing and easily minimize it. But for people like Paul, who we know is zealous for Judaism, for people like Paul, I think this is an incredible act of humility and submission. I mean, we struggle with small changes in church life. Changes in how we do church can be hard things for us. In just the 50 years of our church, we've had all kinds of arguments and disagreements on decor or song selection or musical instruments, service schedules or what we call things or what we don't call things. And people feel very passionately about their traditions and customs and the way that they do church. But what happens in Acts is immeasurably more than that. The Spirit of God is telling them, no, this is the new covenant, not the old covenant you got to let that go. This is Christianity, not Judaism. you got to let that go. God is bringing about something new. You know, think about that. Don't, don't just take it for granted. Think about how hard that must have been, letting go of your customs and traditions and the way you thought about Jews and Gentiles and your own sense of identity, letting it go in submission to the calling of the Holy Spirit. That is incredible humility and submission. And that's going to be our theme today as we continue to see this submission to the sovereignty and authority of God in our passage. So here it is, Acts 16, beginning in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, if you're just looking at the key moments of Paul's life, I'm not sure that this will be one of them. I don't think it's a pivotal moment exactly. But it is an instructive moment. It's an emblematic moment of a life of a ministry in service to God, which is characterized by submission and obedience. What we have in our passage is the sovereign will of God being expressed 
and Paul and his companions setting aside their will, setting aside their plans, and responding in obedience and submitting to the will and authority of God. So here's what we have. Paul, as we saw, was called by God to be his chosen instrument to proclaim God's name to the Gentiles. And Paul here is earnestly trying to faithfully follow that calling. So they have a plan. They seem to have the means, and they have a ministry vision. The plan is to go into Asia Minor and proclaim the gospel. This seems like a good plan. That seems like a smart plan. That seems like a strategic plan. And that's a plan that is perfectly in alignment with God's general calling on Paul's life. The people of Asia need to hear the gospel. That's a good plan in every sense of the word. And yet, God confounds their plans. They try to go, but God says no. They try to go east, God leads them west. They try to go to Asia, God leads them to Europe. And they end up in Troas, which is a major seaport, and that's helpful because they're going to need to cross the sea to get to Macedonia into Europe. God confounds their plans. He frustrates their plans, and he gives them a new plan. He gives them a new ministry vision, and Paul and his companions look at that and say, okay, new plan. And they set aside their plans. They set aside their will, and they submit to the will of God. And I think we can hear that and think, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If God tells you to do something, well, then of course you should be obedient. After all, Scripture says this in Psalms, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Which, of course, is right. You're not going to thwart God. Unless God's will is in it, your plans are not going to work out. Unless God's will is in it, your labor is going to be in vain. Unless God's will is in it, all your strategizing and researching and problem-solving and brainstorming isn't going to make a lick of difference. If we're not following the will of God, then all we're really doing is bashing our head against a wall. So why wouldn't we respond just like the disciples here? Just say, all right, new plan. Why wouldn't we just listen to the voice of God and be obedient to his will? Well, that's an easy thing to agree with and understand on a cognitive level. But it's not an easy thing to do. You know, as Christians, we like to say things like, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And we also can be amused with the way that God leads us and the surprises of life. You know, in college, I was an RTF major, a radio, television, and film major. And my future wife looked at a lot of these RTF students, and based on that, she concluded, she determined, she made up her mind that she would never date one of them. True story. And that can be amusing. It can be amusing the way that God thwarts our plans and our ideas. That can be fun to see and amusing. But oftentimes, it is not. You know, there's a lot of failure in ministry. And we try something and it doesn't work. You know, we're a church planting church and we've successfully planted a lot of churches. But there's a whole lot of churches that we've tried to plant, but they fail. We had plans and they were good plans. We strategized, we prayed, we had mission, we had vision. We had a plan and it was perfectly in alignment with God's general calling in our lives. But God said no. He said, this way, not that way. And the thing is, that affects real people. 
people who cared deeply, who had hopes and dreams and aspirations for that ministry. But God said, no, not that way. And it's sad. It's disappointing. And it hurts. And you can feel foolish. And you can feel like a failure. So this passage gives us some comfort there because we can see in this passage that through the thwarting of their will, through the frustration of their plans, God is leading them to Troas, leading them to where he ultimately wants them to go. These these failed endeavors are revealing the will of God, and so our response needs to be the same as theirs. When our will is thwarted, when our plans are frustrated, our response should be, okay, new plan, because we're following Jesus. But that is not easy. Following Jesus is not easy, especially when he frustrates our plans. Not just in ministry, but our lives. We all have plans Plans for our careers, plans for our family, plans for our retirement, five-year plans, ten-year plans. We all have plans, spoken or unspoken. And what happens then if God says no? What happens when God frustrates those plans? You know, the plan was this sort of life, this sort of career, this sort of paycheck. But God said no, not that way. The plan was a spouse and lots of kids. But God said, no, not that way. The plan was a long life of health. may not have been spoken, but that was the plan. But God said, no, not that way. What then? Are we going to follow Jesus? It's easy to say. It's not easy to do. I think there's plenty of people who are following God, who are following Jesus conditionally. It's I will follow Jesus if, I will follow Jesus if there's clarity. I think that's a favorite excuse of ours. I will follow Jesus. I will be obedient to his leading just so long as I know where we're going, right? I mean, in this passage, they had clarity. They had a vision. It was very clear. That's all I want. That's all I'm asking for. I want a vision. I want clarity. I can handle the valleys of life. I can handle the failures, the disappointments, the heartbreak, the frustrated plans, just so long as you run it by me first. I can be obedient. I just want clarity. But that's really not true. You know, first of all, notice in our passage that God is leading them to Macedonia long before he finally reveals it to them. They're trying to go east, and he's pulling them west. It's not until they're in Troas that God reveals the plan. There's a lot of false steps between then, and a lot of miles covered between then. And we can think that that we struggle with obedience because God's not being very clear. But clarity is not really the issue. And we can demonstrate that in Scripture. There's all kinds of examples. We not too long ago went through the book of Jonah. That's a good example. God tells Jonah, I want you to go here. I want you to do this. And Jonah goes in the complete opposite direction. That's not because God wasn't clear. He heard him. He understood him. He didn't like the plan. And we see that many places in scripture. We see that in our own disobedience. We see that in our world. You know, in churches now across America, people who attend church, who profess to be Christians, engage in premarital relations. That's a fairly common thing. Is that because they're confused about what God's will is there? They're befuddled. 
They just never really got clarity on the issue. No. A lack of clarity is not why we're disobedient. And the truth for a lot of us is, I will follow Jesus if I like what I hear. And we see that in Scripture too. Now here's a good example in Jeremiah. The remnant of Israel goes to the prophet Jeremiah imploring him to ask God what they should do. And Jeremiah does that and tells them God's answer here. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. As my anger and wrath have been poured out on those who lived in Jerusalem, so will my wrath be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You will be a curse, an object of horror, a curse and an object of reproach. You will never see this place again. Remnant of Judah, the Lord has told you, do not go to Egypt. Be sure of this, I warn you today that you made a fatal mistake when you sent me to the Lord your God and said, pray to the Lord our God for us, tell us everything he says, and we will do it. I have told you today, but you have still not obeyed the Lord your God in all he sent me to tell you. So now be sure of this. You will die by the sword, famine, and plague in the place where you want to go to settle. God tells them, do not go to Egypt. And what do they do? They go to Egypt. Is that because God wasn't clear enough for them? No. It's because they didn't like the plan. They will follow God if they like what they hear. And we do the same thing. Or another favorite of ours is, I will follow God's will if... It's on my timetable. And you see all kinds of examples of that in Scripture. You know, God makes a promise to Abraham. He's going to have a son by his wife, Sarah. God is emphatic about it. God is clear about it. He tells him the plan. But the plan is taking too long. So they do this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. We see this with the Israelites too. God told them, you're going to conquer the land of Canaan. He is going to give them a land that he promised to them. But they're disobedient. Constantly disobedient. And so God finally says, all right, new plan. Wander around in the desert for 40 years until you drop dead. You can understand why they're not thrilled with that plan. God's timetable wasn't very appealing, so they tried to force the issue. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. We see this in the New Testament too. Gamaliel speaks some wisdom and gives us a brief history lesson. It says this in Acts. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. 
After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's very good insight into God's will. God promised a Messiah, but he's taking too long. They're tired of God's timetable, and so they take matters into their own hands. They got a better plan. But unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. But if we can't thwart God's sovereign will, then why is it even virtuous to submit to it? You know, we're all under God's authority. We're all under his sovereign will, whether we like it or not. He can frustrate our plans. We can't frustrate his, even in our disobedience. You know, here's an interesting passage in 1 Kings. King Jehoshaphat wants to inquire of God whether he and King Ahab should go to battle against other people, and here's the answer. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenea, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Micaiah replied, You will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, Take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, Mark my words, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. It's an interesting passage, right? Ahab and Jehoshaphat are not going to deviate from their plan, even when this prophet tells them plainly, you're going to lose this battle. They inquired of God, and this prophet of God tells them what's going to happen. But they don't like what they hear, so they stick to their plan. But sticking to their plan was ultimately God's plan to judge them and punish Ahab. You can't thwart God's sovereign will. Even our stubbornness, even our wickedness, even our disobedience, God uses for his purposes. And so aren't we all, whether we like it or not, submissive to his will? If we can't thwart God's sovereign will, then how is submission virtuous? You know, look at me, I'm I'm submitting to gravity. Aren't I virtuous? Like I have a choice? When God frustrates our plans, we don't get a say. We don't get a choice. When my plans were crushed, I didn't get a say. When my hopes, my dreams were dashed, I didn't get a say. 
When the diagnosis came in, I didn't get a say. When my loved one passed away, I didn't get a say. What does it mean to submit to that? That's just submitting to gravity. Just a force enacting upon us that we have no control over and no saying. What does it mean to submit to that? To be happy about it? To be happy when he frustrates our plans? Is, Is that what it means to submit? No, that's not it. But here's what it is. Jesus says these words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus actually means what he says there. It is not, I will follow Jesus if. Following Jesus is submission. It's denying yourself, denying your dreams, denying your wants, denying your plans. That's following Jesus. And it is not easy. But a funny thing happens as we follow Jesus. As we deny ourselves, we take on more of Christ. And bit by bit, what is his will and our will becomes harder and harder to distinguish. And the desires of our heart will get met over and over again as our heart becomes more and more like Jesus. And the sovereign will of God becomes a means of joy and not frustration. That's how it works. That's the journey of the Christian. That's how it works. But that's not how it starts. You know, to see how it starts, I I think we see it best through Peter instead of Paul, actually. You know, I love the end of the Gospel of John. It says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. How do we do that? How do we follow Jesus where we don't want to go? The answer is in the first question. Do you love me? We follow Jesus because we love Jesus. That's the motive. That's the motive for denying ourselves. That's the motive of our obedience and submission, just as it was for Jesus. And the Son loves the Father and so submits to his will, even when it leads him to where he does not want to go. We follow Jesus because we love Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.